Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today is number two in our series on Anatomy of Revival. We'll talk about the revival at Ephesus, all the things that caused it to come to pass, because you know what? Times haven't changed, people haven't changed, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed, neither has revival. Let's go to the Word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome back to Student of the Word. Glad to have you here today. For those of you watching for the first time, glad to have you. Great to have you with us. And I'm sure you're going to be blessed by the Word of God because I started a series yesterday called The Anatomy of Revival. We're talking just break down revival and we're taking it down from the Word of God. We're gonna be taking a look at Acts chapter 18, the closing verses of it, all of chapter 19, most all of chapter 20, because this really lays out the purpose of revival, how it begins, how it progresses, and how it ends. And we're gonna talk about that from the Word of God. But we've just been talking yesterday, kind of laying things out of really the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Jesus introduced to his disciples and said, the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit who is present tense with you shall be future tense in you. Now they understood the Holy Spirit with them, but the Holy Spirit in them was a new concept. And then Jesus waited till just before he left, standing on the Mount of Olives to introduce the third one, because there's three of them. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he's with us. That is for comfort. He said, I'll send you another comfort. He'll be with you, comfort and for guidance. But also he is in us and that's for life. The moment the Holy Spirit moves into us, he brings in eternal life. And where he abide, where he lived in the tabernacle of the temple of the Old Testament, today we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. But the third one is for power. You shall receive power. And this power is for witnessing, Acts 1.8 power to lead other people to the Lord Jesus Christ and the power for signs and wonders and healings because this is a great assist in winning people to the Lord. I like what Paul said in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. He said, from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum, when I first came to you, from Jerusalem roundabout unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. He says, for with signs and wonders I came. So understand this, he simply said, if signs and wonders don't follow your ministry, you are not fully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be preaching it and people are getting saved, but there's something that help brings them in and that's laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, casting out devils. But this comes by the anointing of God coming upon you. He's already with you, already in you, but the third one is he'll come upon you. And Jesus was speaking to believers who went to the upper room and on that day, the Holy Spirit came upon them. It comes back to this that revival started when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. Hungry hearts all over that, you know, parts of the world at that time. And Paul went to some of them, Peter went to some of them, other disciples went to other parts of the world where they were hungry. But revival always begins when Christians, not the world, revival begins when Christians turn to or return to the Holy Spirit. Revivals, again, I talked about yesterday of the past century. Azusa began with a small group, 40 Bible school students in Topeka. And once they were filled with the Spirit, it spread to Dallas because a minister came there, then later on to Los Angeles. And the Azusa revival began. It started with the embers. It started with the one match of the 40 students 
that were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. The healing revivals of the late 40s and early 50s, where tent meetings were in hundreds of thousands of people were healed at that time. The charismatic movement later of the 1960s, late 1960s and through the 1970s broke out across this country and around the world where people in, in denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, Catholics were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with tongues, the gifts of the Spirit started moving. And then right after that, the word movement began in the late 1970s throughout the 80s. And the word movement was where churches that were filled with the Holy Spirit and already had the experience of the Holy Spirit now begin to bring great stability to their people. And this is how revival works. We're gonna take a look at it in chapter 18 and 19 of the book of Acts. It started with Paul and healing ministries and all that. And then later the word of God came and so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed after came again after the miracle signs and wonders. So the word movement came in the 70s and 80s, full gospel businessmen, praise and worship seminars around the world, uh, intercessory prayer was being taught, local church growth of the 1980s and 1990s was incredible. And so it comes back to this, that honestly, through the years, I remember having revival meetings and we'd have some people get saved. There'd be some, there'd be some people excited about the things of God, but just because you have a good series of Holy Spirit meetings doesn't mean that this is revival. Revival can't be planned. It requires certain elements, and we're going to take that up as we go through, again, the book of Acts as we take up chapter 19 and chapter 20. Revival is never the work of just one person. It's the work of many people, but it starts with a hunger in Christians to return to the Holy Spirit. And that hunger is actually produced by hunger in people wanting Jesus. There's always people wanting Jesus. And when that happens, again, revival begins with a one or a number of hungry people. And the hungry people are those who are sinners who want to get saved and find God, but also believers who are willing to simply step out and do what the word of God says, despite what people think, despite what preachers say, and realize the Holy Spirit is still here and the gifts of the Spirit are still here and speaking in tongues is still here. God then is now obligated to get someone to them. There was a time when I was in Bible school in 1969, early 1970s. And it came a long time and Christmas vacation was coming up and the, the semester break and uh, just a nine month school. But there was a, a girl in the school and just before the break came, she came one day in, in the school and said, I woke up last night. She said, God laid, in, God laid someplace on my mind. I have no idea where it is. It's called Mindanao. And one of the students said, that's in the Philippines. It's an island in the Philippines. She said, well, I don't know where it is or what it is, but I can't shake it. I think I've got to do something in Mindanao. And so she prayed about it, said, I, I'm going to go over the, I'm going to go over the break. When Christmas break comes and the semester break comes, I'm going to go there and find out. She said, I'm going to go there in faith. Well, the word began to spread. Students began to give her money. People in the church she was attending gave her money. And within a couple of weeks, she had enough to pay for her airfare to get there and back. And someone arranged for somebody to pick her up when she got to Mindanao, but she didn't know why she was going. And the point of it was, is she went over there. And when she got there, she met a little girl. And the lady was there and this little girl came up and the girl just kept looking at her. The little girl kept looking at her and she spoke in the Philippine language and the lady that was there translated for this girl that came over from our Bible school. And she said, you're the one. She said, well, what do you mean I'm the one? She said, I know God exists. And I've asked the question, God, if you really exist, I want to know about you. And so she said, I prayed for God to send somebody to tell me. And when you came, I recognize you. You're the one that's supposed to come. And she realized that girl's little prayer 
in the Philippines, spoke to her in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she flew over there and she got that girl saved. There was a revival that broke out for the week or two she was there. And so many in that little village gave their lives to Jesus Christ. She ended up going back there later on after graduation and set up a ministry on that island. So it comes back to it again. When there is hunger in the world, God has to supply that hunger with someone that will minister to them. That's why we have people feeling a call to go somewhere and bring revival, call to go somewhere and bring the gospel to people. This is what it is. It starts with the hunger in a Christian to do the will of God. And then once you do that and are filled with the Holy Spirit, especially, then that call can come to your life. Now, God can call you to the world again to preach if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with tongues, but it's a whole lot easier when you are. This is how Paul could say no to going north in Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him strongly and said, don't go in north into Bithynia. And then the Holy Spirit literally stopped him in his tracks and refused to let him go south into Asia. And he just kept going till one day, as he got to the city of Troas, the Holy Spirit came and gave him a vision in the nighttime of a man from Macedonia. And he went over to Philippi. Philippi led him to other cities. And finally, he ended up in Ephesus, where we're gonna be talking about this huge revival that lasted for three years and shook an entire continent. But it started with one thing, Paul being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. How could he be so sensitive to pick up no to North End of Bithynia? Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit forbid him to go uh, south into Asia, and he just kept going in the direction he was supposed to go to. And when he got to, uh, to when he got to the city of Troas, the Holy Spirit gave him a vision in the night. How did he have all that? I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Samaria was hungry for God. In fact, this was found in John chapter four. Take a look at John chapter four, verses 37 through 39. And here Jesus got up one morning and just told his disciples, we need to go to Samaria. And we're gonna find out because there was a woman there and then he was gonna lead her to the Lord. And this woman was gonna be a catalyst to get everybody in that town coming out and a great uh, salvation experience happened, uh, which later on in, in chapter eight of Acts, Philip goes there and now brings a greater revival after that, after the salvations, he comes back with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation and many more get saved and many more get healed. And there was great rejoicing in the city. John chapter four, here is the first time we hear about Samaria being hungry for the things of God. And in verse 37 through 39, Jesus brings it out. This is a saying, which is true. One sows and another reaps. Notice this, you guys are rejoicing over how many got saved. You didn't come in here first. Somebody's been in here before you. Verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. This one woman at the well, Jesus used a word of knowledge with her. She saw the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And with that word of knowledge, you've had five husbands. The one you're living with now is not your husband. And she ran back and told the men of that city, come and, and see a man that told me everything I ever did. So many of the Samaritans again came and receive Jesus because of that. Acts chapter eight, turn there with me. We now have the continuation of what Jesus saw as a beginning. Now Philip is gonna go and Philip is gonna even see a greater revival come to that city after he is filled with the Holy Spirit. What is it that brought revival there? It was Philip turning toward the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And now Philip 
going to the city of Samaria and also bringing the gospel with him and signs and wonders operate. How did the signs and wonders operate? I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. In verse four through eight, it says, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Notice he was an evangelist. He preached the new birth to them and the multitudes with one accord, he did the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Jump to verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who when they came down, prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. What was this? This was the Holy Spirit coming on those who now had the Holy Spirit living in them and was with them. Now this experience comes to them. And again, this revival was incredible. It further energized by Philip, what started back in John chapter four here in Acts chapter eight, but the process and goal of revival does not change. A hungry person for God will attract a minister and that minister brings revival in, but usually is come on the heels of others. He simply said this, the word of God has been sown here and uh, Jesus did, and you guys got to come in on top of that and reap the things that happened. So when we get to heaven, we might think we're responsible for leading somebody to Jesus and find out actually it was many people before us. I'll see you right after halftime. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyendian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
So many things in our life happen because of a supernatural pull and tug of the Holy Spirit. And when you become spirit-filled, you become so much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The very first mention of tongues was Isaiah 28. With stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Notice with stammering lips and another tongue, he'll speak to these people. And what the Lord is simply saying is, as you begin to minister to the Lord in the spirit and speak with tongues, God can speak to you and show you things. And so revival that we're talking about here began with, again, with people that spoke in tongues, prayed in tongues, opened up their heart to the Lord, and guidance came to them supernaturally of where to take the gospel of which Paul was. When Paul got to the city of Troas, the Holy Spirit gave him a vision in the nighttime of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. Paul went there and started out in Philippi, then went to other cities throughout uh, Macedonia, ended up in Corinth. And when he got to Corinth, he ran out of money because he left many of his uh, workers back there in the other cities that he'd gone to. So many cities he went to and he would leave somebody there and leave somebody there. By the time he got to Corinth, he had no team left and he had no finances left. And so here he was in Corinth, knowing he was in God's will, but had to make tents to make enough money. And there he met Aquila and Priscilla. Let me just say this also. I've asked you to become uh, many, many times to become partners with me in this ministry. And I simply ask you to check your heart and, and you know, check your finances and maybe you feel led to become a partner with me. That's important that you listen to the Holy Spirit. I often tell a congregation, as we start to give today, why don't you just close your eyes, listen to the Holy Spirit, and maybe he'll show you what to give. And many times he does. Now there's times he doesn't. And I simply tell the people, if you don't get anything, then understand God just simply saying, I trust you. You give as you purpose in your heart. But until that time, the Holy Spirit can give you things. And people have often told me, I've never done that. I've never just really opened up and said, Holy Spirit. And I said, well, that's what being filled with the Spirit is. Open yourself up to this this strong relationship you have with the Holy Spirit by being filled with the Spirit and speaking with tongues, and He desires to speak to you. With stammering lips and another tongue, He will speak to this people. As you pray in tongues, then get quiet before Him. Listen to what He has to say. If you'd like to become a partner with me, perhaps you're just thinking, well, I could do this or I could do that. Stop for just a moment. And yes, that's fine to examine what you have and give out of that, but listen, why don't you listen to the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit will tell you what he wants you to do. Now, this doesn't happen every time, but many times, 70, 80% of the time, the people will tell me, I got a figure from the Holy Spirit. At first, I thought that might be the devil. I said, no, if you ask the Holy Spirit for something, it's impossible to hear the devil's voice because you will not follow a stranger. So just listen and then be obedient. So I'm simply asking you, would you like to become a partner with me? Then why don't you just ask the Holy Spirit what to give? And if he tells you what to do, then give it. Go to my website, bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me. And again, if he doesn't speak, purpose in your heart. Decide what you want to do. And thank you for being obedient to the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 18. We're going to spend a little time in Acts chapter 18 because this is the precursor, the introduction to what was going on before the revival at Ephesus. And so, Paul has come to the city of Corinth. He was making tents there, ran out of money, met Aquila and Priscilla, who also helped him to make tents. And then a great offering came from the church of Philippi. And Paul mentioned this three different times. It so blew him away what they gave. He could quit making tents, and now he could start to preach the gospel again to the people of Corinth. But while he was there, it says in verse 19, he had a leading to go to Ephesus. And Ephesus wasn't that far from Corinth, so he and Aquila and Priscilla uh, came to Ephesus. 
And when they got there, Paul always did this. I say always, most of the time did this, is he came to his own, which was the Jews first. And he preached the gospel to the Jews first when he went to an heir because he knew them and knew how to approach them before he went to the Gentiles. He was ultimately called to the Gentiles. Peter was called to the Jews. This was found over in the book of Galatians. But yet Paul never lost his love for the uh, Jewish people. This is found in Romans, especially uh, chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11. We find there in those three chapters of Paul's intense love for the people almost to the point of which, I mean, it almost overthrew him. As, and, and he even said, I wish sometimes that I could go to hell just so they could all go to him. If I could swap my life and I didn't go into hell for eternity, I would do it for my people, the nation of Israel. And so again, uh, he would come and he would start off in the uh, synagogue. And this is what he did when he came to Ephesus. And it says in verse 19 uh, of chapter 18 of Acts, this is the introduction to chapter 19, the, the preliminaries that occurred before the great revival broke out in chapter 19. It says, Paul came to Ephesus in verse 19 and left them, that's Aquila and Priscilla there. He went into the, into the uh, synagogue, but he left them outside the door. Okay, and he went in by himself. He didn't want to look like he's bringing in a group of people. But again, he came in by himself. He came to Ephesus and left them, Aquila and Priscilla, there. But he himself, this is by himself, entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. The Greek word for reason is dialego, where we get die, uh, where they, where he dialogued with them. He got into a discussion with them back and forth. Reason here simply doesn't mean he debated with them. No, he just reasoned with them, and they reasoned over the scriptures. Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. The population was around 300,000 people. It had a large temple to the worship of Diana. This is found in chapter 19 and verse 28. Diana's worship was accompanied by sexual acts of priests and priestesses. Men and women could go there and have sex. And this was a large part of the religion of the worship of Diana. It had a very large tourist trade that came through. It was a convention city. And when entering a new city, Paul's method of ministry was to go to the synagogue administered to the Jews first. Aquila and Priscilla were Jewish, but not as good as debating or ministering or getting into a dialogue with the Jews in the synagogues as Paul was. It says in verse 20, when they, the Jews, desired him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent. Now, this is interesting because most every time, in fact, I can't think of any time except this one, when Paul went into the synagogue, within a few days, they kicked him out. Man, he caused such dissension because he came in preaching salvation through Jesus Christ and that it doesn't take the law to save you because it's never taken the law to save us. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But once we come to Christ, we're no longer the schoolmaster. The schoolmaster couldn't save you, but the Christ it brought you to could save you. And so he now came back of those trying to get saved by the law, spiritual by the law. He taught them Jesus Christ, what the law taught. And that was in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden he had great results. He probably scratched his head going, wait a minute, something's up here. What was it? There was a hunger in the city of Ephesus. That hunger was what caused him to have that original vision back there in Troas during the nighttime when there was a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. This was God's desire to lead Paul to Ephesus where a three-year revival was going to break out. Paul had a good response and many were born again in the Jewish synagogue here. But this was not the norm. He was usually removed quickly. There was a spiritual hunger in Ephesus and Paul was only there to plant seeds for a new church. 
He would return later for a great revival, a harvest of souls and a harvest of churches. Incredible. And they literally were begging him because he had to go to, he wanted to go to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. And these Jews in the synagogue begged him, would you please stay here? Don't go. And it says in verse 21, they, and he bid them farewell saying, I must by all means keep the feast. That's the feast of Pentecost that's coming in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if it's God's will and he sailed from Ephesus. I'm gonna tell you, it was God's will. He will return back there at the opening of chapter 19. He's gonna come back after he's been in Jerusalem, visits some other churches, rested in Antioch. Then he comes back here to Ephesus. But here's the point. Paul wanted to be there. That is at the Feast of Pentecost to see many of his friends and to visit the church at Jerusalem. And he tells these new converts at Ephesus, he will return if it's God's will and it will be. God's will. He will return. He'll return after many months to see a harvest which has been sown and watered for a long time. In other words, these people were hungry. Apparently there had been something before this time and the people in the city wanted something. Apparently they had got so sick of Diana. They got so sick of this, this religion. Nothing changed in their life. Things never got any better. And if this was what God was, they didn't want it. They began to want something more. And this is what led Paul to come to, the, to again, Macedonia and end up here uh, at the city of Ephesus. In verse 22, it says, speaking of Paul, when he had landed at Caesarea, and traveled up to Jerusalem. He saluted the church and then went to Antioch. Paul docked at Caesarea. Then he went to Jerusalem. He visited the church there and many saints who were his friends. And when the feast of Pentecost was over, he then went home. And he went to his church, home church of Antioch and rested there for a while. And there could not have been any two different churches than Jerusalem and Antioch. He went to Jerusalem, first of all, because of the Feast of Pentecost. And then later on, he went to Antioch. Boy, two different churches. Jerusalem was filled with legalism and had gone downhill since the time of the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And then in chapter 11, Barnabas and Paul founded this new church in Antioch. Because why? In that city, they found a great hunger for the grace of God. And the people there weren't moved by the law because they didn't know the law. And eventually more uh, Jewish people came and Jews and Gentiles worshiped God together. And there was no major thing of being circumcised or the food you ate or anything like that. And so it says in verse 23, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the country of Galatia. That's where he went on his first missionary journey and Phrygia in order one after another, strengthening the disciples. Beginning his third missionary journey, he visited the same churches he had established on his first and second trips. He went to encourage the pastors and the saints at Galatia. And since they had a tendency toward legalism, he had to go and remind them of their position in Christ and to the, the power of walking in faith, which should remain throughout the entire Christian life. But what was going on back at Ephesus? I like to think of it this way. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, what was going on back in Ephesus? Paul had left and gone over here to refresh himself, to get himself back and says, if God's will is, I'll come back. And it was God's will. But what happened between the time that Paul left Ephesus and then eventually came back? We now have the story of Apollos. Verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. God never leaves a people 
without someone to speak to them. And what we have here, although Aquila and Priscilla were there, they were not strong in the presentation of the gospel and preaching to sinners, but here we have a man named Apollos that was. It says he was from Alexandria. Alexandria was a large city filled with colleges and universities. He was a very well-educated man, and man, was he a powerful speaker. And he came across and could speak to these Jews and presented Jesus Christ. And again, this is still part of the founding of the revival that broke out in Ephesus. There's a lot of good things here. You'll find more about it if you order my book on the book of Acts. That's what's being offered during this broadcast. It'll be a great blessing to you, and I will see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.